0: Hello, and welcome to In the Thick of It, Profit and weekly podcast. Myself, Galen Stops, and of course, as ever, I'm Colin Lambert. We're back after uh, a brief day. I hope you're feeling uh, refreshed and rejuvenated, Colin. Um, I understand that yeah. at the time we've been done, you've been doing some um,
1: some roving. As well. <laughs> yeah, actually, I must confess, I've been on a few planes the last couple of weeks. But um, yes, I I was about to pick you up on that, So weekly, we weren't here last week. So, yeah, you know, accuracy, Galen, accuracy. <laughs> but, yes, it, it, um, yes, this is where we enthusiastically say it's lovely to be back. <laughs>
0: um, so, so, Colin, while you've been uh, roving and talking to people, um, have, you, have you had any interesting discussions? I'm sure
1: you have. Yeah, yes, yeah. I mean, um, actually, uh, to be honest, I think probably this, the thing that struck me most was, I mean, There's some good chats I've been having on on background and other stuff, but the thing that struck me was a couple of findings. So National Australia Bank, NAB, put out their uh, biennial survey of um, FX habits amongst their superannuation funds, Um, and the results came out on Wednesday morning in Australia. And there were some numbers in there that I found, you know, some I found very heartening and some I found quite strange. Um, So first off, I guess the strangest one for me was... um, that I don't think we're surprised to hear that uh, funds are investing more in emerging markets. They're looking more at emerging markets for returns. Um, yeah. yeah. They would be they would be a, a tremendous outlier if they weren't. Um, but what was interesting was they were – In one of the stats that stuck out to me was their use of NDS has halved. Or the amount of them using NDS has halved in that two-year period. Um, I think it was like 7% were using NDS to hedge their emerging market exposure. Which I found quite remarkable because I think it was like, I think it might even been like seventeen or eighteen percent the previous survey, and I apologise for not Mm. doing my homework ahead of this, of course. Um, But it's it's, you know it's dropped dramatically, Um, and I kind of found that strange because over that same period, NDF volumes in the market have gone up by about sixty percent. It's not really liquidity that's the issue. Um, The other thing I thought was really good about it was that um, I think a vast majority of hedging their Indonesian exposure um, in developed markets. Oh, sorry, their, their emerging market exposure in, in developed markets. And I was talking to someone over a cold one, which is why I just stumbled probably, and um, we were saying basically if you've got this big infrastructure project in Indonesia that you're funding, you want to hedge your currency risk, they're doing it via probably dolly yen. I, I'm not sure that's a great hedge we've got to be honest i mean they've done all the <laughs> stats on correlation they've done all the stats on correlations and whatever else so i'm going like really you know, you or even if it's like aussie yen think well so then you're getting involved with the carry trade so you've got a bunch of retail people influencing your, your hedge i was really surprised to hear they use less NDFs and emerging market hedging in general because i would have thought do, do that given have, the you know, go on.
0: Do you have any explanation for this disparity, or like any just kind of speculating
1: here? Um, well, the, sur- the report NAB put out with it, and I spoke to a couple of people about it. Hence, I've been out and about quite a bit this week, um, and I spoke to a few people about it. Um, and it mentioned uh, liquidity, which you know I kind of dismiss for the aforementioned point that you know average daily turnover has gone up about 60% in NDS. Um, now it could be the fact that they're investing in uh, markets where, um, I guess, the liquidity in the market is not that great. I mean, we talk about NDF volumes, but it's probably there are probably three or four currency pairs. And <clears throat> to use the aforementioned Indonesia as an example, yeah, you know, if you invested four billion dollars into uh, into Indonesia, you're probably, probably going to struggle to hedge that in the NDF market. Um, but you should be able to do some of it, is my point, and I thought that would have shown through. Um, so partly, it's I think it's liquidity. The other thing is cost of trading. Which I think spreads have probably come in, but again, it comes down to the amount you're trading. And the other one was uh, raised by NAB in the report, was um, cost of margining. And that probably is the one that sticks out for me, because... If the banks are getting charged more to trade NDS and to, you know, to settle NDS, then that cost will be part of the customer. The regulators literally have got their heads stuck in the clouds if they think otherwise. Um, they keep on current these ideals about, oh, yes, you know, this, this will make the market more efficient. And well, it doesn't, actually. What happens is the cost gets passed down and down and down until it gets to the person they're trying to protect. Um, and yeah. So I wonder if this is an, another instance of the regulators putting in place something that they think will help the buy side – or the end user, and it does nothing of the sort. So, yeah, on balance, I would say it's probably um, mostly that sort of, you know, the cost of margining, because they've got to put systems in place. Um, I think the survey also had a section on, you know, lateral management and margining, and more of them are prepared for it than they were before, but not many are actually doing it. Um, and there are quite a few that aren't ready for it. So I think it's a cost of you know, putting in place the systems, getting the legal agreements done, and I think liquidity should be a secondary concern. So yeah, that to me was uh, was probably my main reason behind it. So then the if that's the case, is- do you expect this
0: to be uh, do you expect this to be a temporary state of affairs, or do you think those, those are going to be static now? I'm
1: not sure. I'm not sure the, I'm not sure the uh, regulations will be rolled back. Um, so I'm pretty sure they won't. I mean, we've we've had this discussion before. I'm sure about you know, should NDS and options be part of of the Dodd Frank, for instance, um, requirement? Because quite frankly, you know, they you pay a, you pay a difference. You know, it's it's a cash settled market. It's not actually you're not really holding massive risk to my mind in it. But um, I think the regulations won't be rolled back. Maybe what we 'll find is in two years' time that the market infrastructure around margining is maybe a lot better and a lot cheaper, and as that becomes cheaper, then more of the funds will actually do it and of course, yeah when the margin if the margin rules properly cut in they 've just been delayed, but if they' properly cut in, then they 're going to have to do it, and that might lead to more of it but given this is a voluntary trade, you know this hedge is a voluntary hedge they 're not obliged to hedge. Um, I suspect they will probably go well. If I can hedge my, um, you know, Kenyan shilling risk in euro dollar, then I'll carry on doing so. Which yeah. is bizarre to me, but it's you know they're, they're looking at it, and and I think this is the thing. I mean, generally speaking, we're talking about a sector that still doesn't really understand FX. I was talking to someone to quite a big um, buy side manager this week, and they said. Um yeah I, you know I've been at my firm for eleven years now, managing a port, pretty large portfolio, and I've never once been asked by my superiors or oversight about f x and how I do it is quite damning in its own way, but I think is actually typical very much so the way so. a lot of the 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 pension fund um you know asset manager industry thinks of f x so yeah will it change? I'm not sure it will um i mean the good news from the survey was that um, there was quite, I I think, may be referred to as a seismic shift. And that's fair enough because um, there's a lot more managers looking to actively manage their risk, um, which I think is is wise. Um, I think the key element was, I think, 57% or 58%. I really should have researched this, shouldn't I? 57 or 58% of managers um, now are looking at a targeted Currency policy, rather than a simple hedge ratio, um, which signifies you know, more active management. Um, the thing I found interesting was a huge amount of managers are now looking at their currency risk on a much more frequent basis. They were um, pretty much looking at you know some quarterly, some semi-annually, and some annually, looking at how you know looking at their currency risk and then just putting in the 50/50 hedge ratio policy or whatever. Now they're doing it a lot more frequently. Um, and um, speaking to people, the so I'm getting is that they're actually kind of doing it on a, some some of them on a, you on know, an hour-by-hour hour basis. For instance, you know, I guess this is an Australia-type thing, but we're in Australia where you get that two hours of illiquidity. And I think what they're looking to do is that we have hedges to put in place. If the market has suddenly has like a flash move, the way we've seen two or three times in this time zone, take advantage of it. Yeah, but we may not be. We may not have to put the hedge on until later, but put the hedge on now because you've just seen a, an irrational three percent move. Um, so that I think is good. They're not actually reviewing their currency policy more often, yeah, But that will come. So yeah, I mean. So, so it was, you it talked was a, about
0: it was a, make, a shift there. Um, yeah. So again, do you know what that figure is up from?
1: Um, and no, secondly, they, didn't, they didn't. Yeah, they didn't ask the question in 2017 however um speaking to um some of the people involved in the survey um it's kind of they think it's probably around double okay so
0: that is that is Yeah then.
1: and and actually the amount of people lo- looking at hedge ratio kind of half so there, there's a there's a definition, there's other data in there i mean i'd encourage everyone to read the report there's, there's other data in there to um to support the fact that these funds are definitely thinking more about their currency risk and are probably looking to do more about it. Um, and I guess then, I mean, yeah, to throw a question back at you, yeah, you know, we we speak about the currency management industry quite a lot. And I guess, yeah, the news is kind of mixed. Performance is okay sometimes, and then it's not. I mean, is this the sort of thing, I mean, should do you think currency managers should be booking their plane tickets to Australia?
0: Um, perhaps I've, I've, I've definitely spoken to some currency managers who have had uh, who kind of look at that area, as definite um, growth area, like specifically, you know, unprompted without me saying, "Hey, what do you think about the superannuation fund?" Um, a number of them yeah. globally have mentioned um, those yeah. firms as an area they're particularly targeting. Um, well, it's the fourth biggest pension I mean, pot in the world.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. But but also, I think Sorry. I think that yeah.
0: speaks to their their willingness. To um, to do this, I mean, so, so to be honest with you, some of the the currency managers I speak to say that that uh, progress, that there has been progress amongst these kind of investors about you know why they should be acting uh, their risk. Um, a, a lot of them say it's uh, cyclical. Um, I spoke to one currency yeah. manager who talked to me about a client they had. Um, so so they gave them a mandate for a program, but they were very restricted. And we only let them trade, you know, a few currencies. And then in the end, they decided they weren't that thrilled with the program. And they said literally now, like exactly 10 years later, uh, they've come back and they want to do the exact same program, but with a few more currency pairs.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Welcome welcome to the benchmark world. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. So so, some of them do kind of um, sigh and kind of, find this whole thing a bit uh cyclical um mm. i think uh some people are kind of i spoke to one person who basically just said that that he's cyclical ways of skepticism regarding the value of currency management but that there seems to be a slowly growing consensus that, that it's beneficial to have a specialist handle that um yeah i mean he said to put it another way um uh, i don't have to explain to people why currency overlay what it is
1: and why it which I guess yeah. is, uh, as you said, small progress. Yeah, and that, and that was another thing. Actually, then then your your conversant, they will be very pleased to see another aspect of the survey, which basically said that um, funds are definitely sort of internalising their decision-making process around currency more. But when I say internalising, it means that they're taking decisions themselves. They're not just blindly you know going out and putting in their their hedge ratio. Um, they're actually sort of taking more decisions. Um, there's more internalization of this process, but that does involve, you know, using either specialists um, or consultants or, you know, and, and when I come to specialists, I mean currency overlay um, managers. So, yeah. you know, as, the, as they seem to be bringing more in, in-house, um, by bringing it in-house, you know, my inference from the survey was actually what that also means is there's an opportunity there for overlay. Um, and an interesting because, I mean, you know, I suppose we'll give them a plug. NAB, NAB have an overlay service um, that I'm aware of. I'm, I'm not sure about so many other banks. Um, they probably do. Um, and a couple of the asset managers out there have an overlay service. But there's not actually given, I suppose, you know, to your point, you know, the same managers are coming around again saying, okay, I need this program with a few more currency pairs. Maybe their experience was you know, a few overlay managers set up in Australia and got absolutely nothing out of it and shut down. Um, maybe the time is there for them to think about coming back into it or at least having you know Australian dollar specialists because you know it struck me the numbers that are being spoken about down here in terms of the super funds and you know because I'd give you an example I think I mean it's it's in the trillions of dollars um 40 for the first time in the survey's history and given it's been going 19 years I can't imagine it's been um, it's ever been above this before for the first time Um, more than 40% of running super fund assets have been invested offshore. And I think the the survey said like 72% are expected to grow in. So you're kind of looking at a situation where more than half of this fourth biggest pension part in the world is going to be invested offshore. So please, people, for the love of God, think more about your currency.
0: Um, uh, do, you, do you think that, that part of this, this growth in active management, do you think that kind of the the macro environment plays into that at the moment?
1: You would think so, wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> although I think actually, I mean, like, there was the – when it comes to the influences on the policy, regulation was not funnily enough. Um, and second was the level of the currency macro, which I guess is kind of driven by macro events, um, you would think it would, but then markets haven't really been reacting that much to macro events. With a tip of the hat to any cable trader who suffered this week, well, I say suffered, it would have been quite <laughs> fun, um, as Sterling, one of the massive emotional roller coaster. Um So, yeah, I mean, maybe it does. I, I actually think it's more a question of um, – they're being made more aware of what's going on. The noise around currency is getting so loud that they can't ignore it the way they used to. Um, I, I just wasn't if sure a, if, I, if
0: I was someone at these firms and I look around and I see, you know, I see Brexit and trade wars, uh, yeah. et cetera, whether, whether, you know, whether that's not, may not be a direct decision making, but does that kind of prompt me to start thinking about, oh, I should be thinking about my my currency management, my current
1: currency policy? Maybe. Um I think market volatility would only do that. <clears throat> I'm not sure the macro event yeah, they they deal in data, don't they? So they're looking again, well actually if you look at it in over a you know histor- longer historical window, um, FX markets are pretty low vol at the moment still. Um I think this is more a question of they're just looking at it saying, well actually could do Yeah, returns are low. When returns are low, and particularly when returns are volatile, managers have to start looking at every aspect of their business to squeeze every dollar out of it. And I think, you know, if you look historically, they haven't been that focused on FX. Um, If you look at 2011, I think it was, when CalPERS suddenly started deciding that the custody banks. Um, or they sued State Street and Bank of New York as the other funds um were um ripping them off on the standard instruction trades they 've been doing those trades for twenty years, and they, you know, they, they at no time did they think of asking for a timestamp. you know it's it 's as much the customer being asleep at the will you know this conduct that we face then as it is the as it is the bank, and it just reflects the i think the lack of awareness of currency, maybe these things are coming to the fore now because they're looking at it saying, Well if we can actually improve our overall currency hedging by we can maybe add half a point of performance. But then you're gonna get the other thing, well, I can't do that because that'll be tracking error. It's a difficult one. I, I it really is difficult and I think they've got to have a different mindset. And I think the asset owners have got to be asking them tougher questions. So speaking
0: of being uh, asleep at the wheel, I mean how um Judging kind of from the survey and maybe some of the conversations you've been having lately, i mean how up on how up on kind of things do you think the superannuation funds are in terms of uh counterparty
1: behavior in terms of they should be looking <clears throat> They're not they' <laughs> not today on here at all um I, I i was speaking to a a large asset manager this week on one of my out and about journeys and sizeable portfolio under management, and um, they actually didn't know what the FX Global Code was. And I was having a conversation with them. was like, so do you invest offshore? Absolutely. Do you have FX risk? Absolutely. We have a hedge policy, and we just, you know, we we follow the hedge policy. Okay. Um, but what is this FX Global Code? And I explained it to this person and said, you yeah, know, it's about how, you know, and it it's beholden upon you to to." the right questions of your counterparties. And to actually go back to that thing about CalPERS, you know, had CalPERS been the signatories of the global code and actually had it embedded in their business, they would have been asking questions, and I know the global code didn't exist before anyone says it, but um, the ATI model code did, of course, but, but they would have been asking questions as a counterpart, and it would have been, so how are you executing my volume here? So you know, what format are you using? In a modern era, what algos are you using? Um... I think was it three months ago, the end of month, uh, WM fixing. I think I'm, I, I can't remember the exact day. I should look it up at some stage. But the range on the day was like 50 points in euro dollar. That's twenty four hour day. The range in the five minute window was twelve. I, you don't have to be you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out there's something going on there when you know four fifths of the day's range is in that five minute window. Clearly, there's issues. So I think, you know, and these people are just not aware of it, and the global code would make them ask questions about that. They may say the benchmark fix is perfectly suitable for use, and that's fine. But they've got to ask the questions. What was really interesting, though, was the person I was having a conversation with, we were joined by somebody else in mid-conversation. This person went, "Um, wait a second, got his phone out, looked up the register, went, yep, you've signed the global code. <laughs> so we've got a major portfolio, we've got a major portfolio manager at a fund whose firm have signed the global code and they go like, Oh, didn't know that Which worries me in one way, because it strikes me that what we've got is um a compliance team or a management team going, Yep, statement of commitment to global code, tick that box and they haven't bothered yeah, to do that down, down the, the, the box down down ticking the right there. Yeah, and and that is that is a concern because it should be, you know, it's I made the point to someone this week. I said, you know, the difference between regulation and principles is regulation happens and you get a bunch of bright people sitting in a room trying to find ways to circumvent a regulation. Now, often they try and do it for the benefit of the customer. Often they try and do it for the benefit of efficiency. But under principles... I would kind of argue that the minute you even form that committee to look at how you get around regulation, you're in breach of those principles, but you're not in breach of regulation. So that's where I think principles can be a little bit firmer. Um, but no, yeah, to your point, that sounded exactly like box ticking, and it really worried me that that was going on. And and actually, on that point, to move on, because um, I, yeah, I think you all know the Global Code's got a lot more work to do on the bike so we don't need to go into that one again. That was just an example. But... Um, the other news this week, you know, I use the word news in, I guess, fairly loose terms, was the C D <laughs> and RBC yeah, fines in Canada. Now, obviously, it was about chat room conduct, about sharing information, blah, blah, blah. We've heard it all before in several other jurisdictions. There are a couple of differences with this one. Um, the it's Canada's, you know, small bank market. It's five big Canadian banks. The fact two of them were colluding is a bit of a concern. Um, for instance, when the Australian fines happened, none of the banks that were fined, they were all chatting internally, not with external counterparties. Um, right. And it didn't involve the WM fix. Hooray. Thank goodness for that. Um, but the thing that struck me most out of that thing was, so clients of RBC put out a document, I think it was 2013, saying, yeah you know, okay you need to be aware of this it's Insider trading front running type activity that sharing information could lead to blah 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 and they put this document out today and you should be you know the aCI model code which they named um says uh, you know says this practice is um is bad practice, and everyone needs to pay attention to this. the compliance that went out in Canada only according to the Ontario Securities Commission. So only Canadian desks saw it. The global head of FXC was based in London. And the global <laughs> head of FX didn't didn't know about the memo. Now you'd imagine if they did know about it then the OSC would have turned around and said, like, okay, well we're we gonna you yeah, know we're gonna bang you with this one as well. So it's just I think a box ticking. You've turned around and said, Okay, we've sent out a memo, we're covered um, and we've got to get away from this. We really do. but So on one hand, you've got someone where you've got one firm that's not pushing the global down the chain. And on the other, <laughs> amazingly to me, even more amazingly, you've got someone that hasn't pushed it up the chain. And we wonder why we had issues as a market. It's, yeah, beyond me. Anyway, rant over. I wanted to um, close out with something that uh, we we just put in the next issue of being to bed, and you did a Q and A with um, P and Ls at the FX Hall of Fame with David Clark, who's chairman of the year.
0: Yeah, I did, and, and the reason the reason we did it was because um, in, uh, I was I was rummaging back through some P and L archives, uh, launch 1999, and in the in the the corresponding uh, I think it was the December edition of, of 1999, there's kind of a celebration of of you know 15 year 50 years of, 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 of the FX market and yeah. you know, was just starting at the cusp of this kind of e commerce revolution. And rather amazingly, we had uh, David Clark penned a piece for us uh, reflecting on on 30 of the last years' effects. So uh, we thought it would be rather good 20 years later to have him reflect on, on what what's happened since then um, as, a, as a man who's lived through it all. And um, I don't want to ruin it because uh, we, we go through some of his predictions from the 1999 edition. Um, Excellent. I like it when people yeah. are held to account. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I won't go into that too much because I want people to read the magazine. Let's say some of them aged well,
1: uh, some of them aged dramatically less well. Yes. And isn't that always going to be the story? And congratulations, David, on no. 50 years in FX, obviously. I know. <laughs> so if he's done 30 um, years, and now out 20. The thing that got me, though, is his prediction for the future. And I think we can chat about that, can't we?
0: Yeah, so so he, he made a number, but there was one uh, slightly left field one, um, which I thought was was interesting. Um, you know, he did the uh, you know ones about side and, you know, and regulation and yeah. yada yada. Yeah. Um, but his last prediction was that uh, that we're going to see FX as an asset class taking much more notice of climate.
1: Right, so I have absolutely no idea what he means by it. So, what do you think, Alan? Okay. So,
0: so, 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 let me, let me, let me explain. Um, so, he says basically that the the expenditures, there's going to be massive expenditures necessarily to kind of try and handle the, the dynamics of climate change. Um, right. Some of that that funding will will come from private equity, but a lot of it will inevitably come from banks. So, he sees that banks will be much more engaged in the currencies of countries that are going to be, you know. Uh, Perhaps most initially impacted by climate change, uh, you know, places okay. like perhaps Canada, Australia, maybe Malaysia, yeah. and parts of Latin America. Um, yeah. And it's a bit, his argument was that, that climate change is going to impact financial markets much more than people realize. And FX will fill the impact of that in turn.
1: Okay. Yeah, sure. I, 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 yeah, I, I kind of see that because I'm, at first I'm thinking, what we're going to plant because of the amount of electricity we use for powering all the AI machines that are going to run the world. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess so what he's saying then is there could be this shift in terms of where we're trading and and the bigger because I, I, I guess to go back to one of my points earlier um, in an lab survey, you know, if you're investing four billion in Indonesia. Um, it could be you're doing it for a uh, for a climate change uh, project. And as these countries build more of these projects, it's going to cost them money. So you might see more demand for currency services around those. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. I, I, I think that's something yeah. we haven't yeah. really thought yeah. about. Although I think it will come under the infrastructure. Yeah, I think it will come under the... We, we probably won't be able to measure this one in 20 years' time. Like David or myself will probably care by then. We'll be kicking back with another <laughs> glass of red wine. Um, but hopefully, if a man upstairs is listening. I, I, don't, um, I, don't,
0: I, don't, I don't believe you. David's ever just going to
1: kick back with a glass of red no, exactly, wine. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. If anyone that knows David Clark, you, you, we all know what I've just said is absolute rubbish. He'll still have about four jobs.
0: <laughs>
1: um but yeah, I, I, I guess you know, it'll be a hard one to judge, mainly because I think it will just come under infrastructure. And yeah. I think one thing that you we will, I mean, I think he's right in those terms. I think, yeah, particularly in an era of low returns, and if you're someone that believes, as I think more people are, that this low rate, you know, low interest rate environment is going to continue for much longer, you know, Japan, anyone? Um, then asset managers generally are going to have to invest more in real assets and infrastructure um, you know there's to go back to the Australian pension pool yeah you, know, you got you know probably got a couple of trillion dollars going offshore every year there's only so many bonds and equities you want to buy in there um a lot of it will go into you know building airports in Malaysia or Indonesia or somewhere else where you know wherever the, the opportunity lies um in the US even yeah i mean the US is going to rebuild its infrastructure funds will invest in that um and part of that will be like you know stuff to combat climate change so yeah i i i'm nibbling i'm nibbling on it as you say i've not quite i'm quite bitten because i think it might <laughs> just get lost in the whole infrastructure thing we'll see what do you think
0: um i i, I agree i think think it's hard to measure. It could be it it could end up being the the thing that spurs the next huge infrastructure yeah. drive, which will obviously yeah. have to yeah. be financed. Um yeah. And that in turn I, I agree that certainly I think climate change will ultimately and this is kind of a longer term prediction impact financial markets in a massive way. Um yeah. And so it's hard to see if if that happens,
1: that it doesn't have some kind of ripple effect into the FX markets. Yeah. 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 I mean, and and also, you know, I mean, we'll probably get to the change where, you know, as we've got in Europe or whatever, we we end up trading climate um, tokens, for want of a better word. Um, and if you're going to be trading things, then, you know, inevitably there will be some sort of market structure around there. And that market structure could call for some sort of FX-type involvement, particularly as you go across. I mean, I think it has to happen. Um, if you want me to make a prediction then for 20 years, while we're on it, <laughs> oh, <go laughs> just on to the top of my head, I think probably the the biggest projects that will be funded would involve water, the movement of water. think we'll look back and we would have built a a new infrastructure for water in several countries around the world, and they will be huge projects, kind of driven by climate change, but again, it'll be infrastructure, and there'll be investment opportunities in those projects, and that will drive some more foreign exchange business, only on one-offs, but there you go.
0: All right. Well, listeners, uh, let us know your thoughts on the back of a postcard in 20 years' time, please.
1: <laughs> and just so you're all aware, I won't care. <laughs> I like making twenty year predictions because I'm going to, like, if I'm held to account I can just ignore them. I'll just I would have deleted my email address by then. <laughs> um, that <laughs> That's it from us for this week. Um as always any questions or feedback we welcome it to either Galen or myself. Um I think you know where to get in touch with us. Um thanks very much for listening. Um happy Labor Day to you, Galen. Um sadly it means your summer's over. I would say mine is just beginning, but we've had about two centimetres of rain in the last two days in Sydney. So maybe we've got a few more days to go. Have a great week everyone and <laughs> we'll be back next we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.